Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 92 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsors, Clio, online practice management for attorneys at goclio.com. In our last podcast, we discussed results from the 2012 ILTA Inside Legal Technology Purchasing Survey and the 2012 ABA Legal Technology Resource Center Survey and what they tell us about the current state of technology used by lawyers and how they help us understand and predict trends. This week, we thought we would look at a new release from Apple that created quite a bit of controversy and the larger question that we think it raises. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we're going to be asking whether we might be living in one giant public beta test of new software services. In our second segment, we're continuing our ex- experiment with a new segment called Puzzled. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start using the second this podcast is over. Well, let's get started with our main topic first, and that's living in a public beta test. Only a few years ago, uh, I, I think software developers would keep the development of their products relatively secretive, uh, only allowing a small group of people to try out the software before it was released. They wanted to get it right, but they it, it recognized the need for, for, for beta testers to be able to use it. Nowadays, it seems like developers are taking a release now, develop later approach to new software uh, with what I would say are mixed results for users and a especially with what we're going to be talking about today. Dennis, do you want to start out with the blog post that got us thinking about this topic? Yeah, Tom, it's uh, a post on on appadvice.com. Brian Wolf wrote a a post called Opinion. Did I miss the memo from Apple making us all beta testers? And he was talking about uh, some of the controversy caused by Apple Maps, but he singled out Siri Apple Maps and Lightning, which uh, is, is the new uh, connector uh, for for the iPhone, um, and and wondered whether Apple is sort of treating us all as public beta testers for for new and what he felt were sort of unfinished uh, products, and and I think a lot of it relates to the to the maps and and a lot of the issues were raised with people were disappointed with. How how unfinished the Apple Maps felt, and, and especially when they compared it to, to Google Maps. Um, but I think it, and he ends with the, with the 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 wish, and I think the sincere wish that we no longer be made public beta testers, and that we get finished products. And, and I, I think it's a, it's it's an important uh, discussion to have because I think there has been a, a, a pretty big move, uh, as, as you said, Tom, to w- with the new development techniques, agile development techniques and, and things like that, that there is this notion of getting product out faster, um, seeing how people use it and, and then uh, fixing things and responding to that input and sort of uh, 
getting us on a, a much faster development loop. So as opposed to, say, in the days of Windows, when it could be three or four years before a new operating system uh, came out. So I think that's sort of the background time. But but I think um, it, it really was that, that uproar that happened with Apple Maps that kind of set everybody off in, in thinking about this topic. You know, I think Brian's Brian's plea is wishful thinking. I I think we all would wish that we could stop being public beta testers, but I really think that those days have changed. I I I, I wish that that we were able would be able to to, to get something that was fully baked, but uh, I I just don't think that's possible these days the way that we would expect it to be. You know, Apple's problem was not that they released a, a program that, like I said before, is not fully baked. I think their problem was that they rolled out maps saying that it was fully baked and that it's a final version or at least seeming to imply that it was a final version. They had all sorts of praise saying, look at our great maps. And and there's a, a flyover uh feature for for the new Apple Maps where you can fly over London and Paris and Moscow and sure it's cool but uh, it doesn't really help you that much uh, and and I think that they gave the wrong impression it, it it it's I think the problem with the Apple Maps is more public relations and less technology but but you know it, it, it you know Google Maps has been on the iPhone ever since the iPhone came out five years ago that's all that iPhone users have been used to and all of a sudden iPhone users are given a completely different map. The most of the complaints that I've seen about it um, are that the map contains errors. You know, things are in the wrong place or they don't exist at all. You know, they also removed the transit maps, which were, I think, very popular in Google. I've, I understand that Google is working on its own maps app for iOS, but it won't be uh, ready until the end of the year. I think s- still some people are are recommending that you create a web app of the Google Maps site. I, I, we're going to include a link on how to do that. You can actually uh, have Google Maps within uh, on your new iPhone or in iOS 6 uh, that can uh, take the place of your Apple Maps if you don't like them. Uh, I, I, I happen to think, frankly, and this is my personal opinion, I just don't use Maps as often as other people do. And so to me, this is somewhat of a tempest in a teapot that I understand the problem, but I also have seen lots and lots of software products that are released that aren't quite ready for prime time. I know Apple, though. I know that they'll get it right eventually. And frankly, I just saw an article maybe an hour before we recorded this saying that people are already noticing improvements in the Apple Maps, that things are starting to show up primarily in the 3D view that uh, that they weren't able to see before. So we're already seeing improvements to the product. And, and I think that's how it's going to happen. Is that the sense you get as well, Dennis? Yeah, I think there's in this this case there's sort of this unspoken thing of Steve Jobs would have never allowed this to happen, and sometimes that is that is spoken, and and I think if you look back, we we really do have a tolerance on on these things. It takes some time to develop, and I would say Maps to me is a classic example where where you have tolerance. I mean, I know that you use a, a GPS time. I have a GPS in my car, and I needed uh, the summer to use the. The, uh, the the Google Maps on my iPhone and uh, it was just n- not a great experience but but it's better than you know stopping a gas station and and pull and trying to find a 
trying to find maps. So you develop some tolerance. And I, and I also think that we are used to, I think you're right, Tom, it's as long as people know what the expectations are and you understand the difficulty of the task that's trying to be, uh, you know, that the software or services is taking on, then then you're more able to deal with it. I, I think the sense is you say, oh, this is going to be completely finished. This is going to be something that's perfect, you know, that, you know, Steve Jobs himself would have signed off on this in the old days, then I, I think you're likely to be disappointed. I, I think in the world of, if you compare the world of of Google, um, I, I think it's Gmail was, was sort of humorously known for having the longest beta uh, program ever and rolling out <laughs> Gmail. But I, you sort of sense with, with Gmail, Google Docs, some of the other things is they're in beta and they're sort of good enough to get out, but the expectation is that they aren't quite finished and they're still going to be developed and they're going to change over time. Um, Tom, I guess my question when I think about it too is that, you know, from Twitter to Facebook to any of the the other web 2.0 stuff uh, that we use, my sense is that when they roll out, uh, if you're first, if you're an early adopter, you basically think you're getting a beta or even an alpha version. I signed up for a new uh, uh, web 2.0 type of service the end of last week, and it was it was definitely called an alpha or a preview beta or a private beta. So I don't expect things. To work, and I, I and so I think that Web 2.0 in the Web 2.0 world, that there is that sense of, hey, it's an evolve, it's a work in process. No, I, I agree. I, I it used to be that there would be uh, websites that that were offering new services, and you would enter your email address, and and you you might be invited to a private beta test where you could become a sort of an exclusive member. Nowadays, when you submit your name, they're basically saying, when we're ready to roll this out, you're going to be a public beta tester. It won't be just to won't be just to a limited group of people. You'll will everybody will get that notification who's interested in trying it out, and I think that. That that's that that's that's the more and more common feature we're seeing with a lot of these tools. But but come back to how many years ago did we start talking about Web 2.0 and cloud computing? And one of the features that we said one of the things that made cloud computing and Web 2.0 so great was its ability to think and act quickly, the ability to update and roll out incremental improvements to the software on a regular basis without having to introduce a completely new release. You know, waiting for the next version of Office, Office 2013, I can't wait, I'd love to see it, but I've got to wait for it. With a lot of tools, you don't have to wait anymore. You can at least get a get a, a preview of it, like you said, but uh, with the understanding that this isn't done. It's it, it, it We're going to rely on our users to help tell us what's wrong with it, to help make it better. Um, and I think with that expectation, uh, that's uh, I think that's acceptable. Now, with Google and the maps, I just think that, again, I'm going to say I think it was handled poorly. I, I, I've never used the maps. I see that your experience with Google Maps on the iPhone was not good. But I'll tell you, the people that I know on Androids, who use the Google Maps think it's the best thing ever, mostly because of the turn-by-turn directions. Now, Google denied the turn-by-turn directions to Apple when they were using it, and, and Apple has now replaced it with its own turn-by-turn 
probably not quite as good as as Google Maps turn by turn directions, but I, it's never been important to me. I recently started using on a regular basis uh, another app called Waze, W-A-Z-E, and um, I think it's fantastic. It, it has a social approach to managing traffic. I'm, I'm not sure that this is the safest thing to do. I would hope that most of the people doing this are passengers and not drivers, but as you drive around, you can enter into this Waze app uh, the, the the traffic conditions you find, whether there's a major slowdown, whether there's a cop on the side of the road, whether there's a, an accident and how severe that accident is. And as the service starts collecting these incidents, it can start predicting and make some decisions about how fast the traffic's going to be. I had a great experience two weeks ago where I was trying to get to the airport in time and I was stuck in traffic and all of a sudden... Um, the, the, the message popped up on Waze that said, hey, we've noticed that traffic is getting really slow ahead of you. We're creating an alternate route for you to get you to where you need to go faster. And it did. And I got there faster. And Waze is just is, is genius to me because it, it worked so well and was able to leverage what other people are doing and seeing out there. So it, it, I guess the, my bottom line to, to, to where I'm waxing poetic about Waze um, is that is that there are other options out there than Google Maps. Uh, I'm sort of getting a little bit away from uh, from the whole notion of the beta test, but um, but I, I think that, that that my lesson from that is is that if you're not happy with that public beta test, you're always going to find other options. You you you're not stuck with what you have. You've got there are so many different options out there for uh, for for users. I think that uh, that that you should take advantage of them if you're not the type of person who likes to uh, likes to take. Uh, like to take those risks with uh, with beta tests. Well, in ways I think is a is a free app as well. So you're right. again you're you're going to have more tolerance. So if they would have suggested another route and it wasn't like the perfect route, you would say, hey, at least they tried this kind of a cool feature. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, I also look back in the past and I say. You know, we kind of look at the past a little bit with rose-colored glasses and went on these things and go like, oh, we're all part of this public beta. And, and maybe because we, it's more often called that. But I still remember the old days where it was the advice you always gave people not to update to the new version of Windows until the first service pack was <laughs> released. Still so do. There was always there was always that notion of saying, well, there's some stuff that needs to be worked out. And in the web 2.0 world, you know, software as service, I think that changed a little bit because uh, I, I wish I remembered who, who told me this, but this sort of notion to say, well, rather than go with even the 80-20 rule on sort of if you can get 80% of what you need, go with it. There's going to be 60-40 in the Web 2.0 world because then you knew that if you got 60%, you could kind of work with that and then it would improve and evolve and get better over the next year or so. So you would be to a point where where it did have some of the, you know, more of the things you needed and probably offered you some things you didn't even realize you needed at the time. And so it was going to improve. So you could, so you could jump a little faster. And, and so I, I think that uh, you got this sort of fast pace, I say agile and other types of development and in, in software are meant to be fast, fast prototypes, get stuff out there. Um, there is this testing period. I think the, with the notion of free apps, free services, you know, you have to build in a little bit of tolerance. And I think that's, uh, that can be, 
for me, I have that tolerance built into my expectations. I think that's a little harder for lawyers who like much more stable environments. Although I don't think, Tom, it's it's really uh, that stability thing can fool you because I think if you're not updating on a regular basis, you you take on potential security and, and other risks. So it's it's uh, you got to keep moving to some extent. Um so I don't know, Tom, if we accept this whole notion of the ongoing public beta, which I think there's, there's, there really is a lot of truth to it, um, what do we do about that? I mean, is, are there some good approaches to take? You know, that's a hard question for me to answer. I'm, I'm going to come back very quickly and, and only quibble with you just a little bit on, and maybe I'm not quibbling with you, you just didn't say it, that, uh, you know, the old advice of not updating to new Windows until the first service pack was released, I'm, I'm not sure that a different rule doesn't apply to your operating system, that, that if I've got an operating system issue, I mean, that's the foundation of my entire computer, I might want to wait until that those bugs are worked out. If, if my Google Docs doesn't happen to work very well, I I've got other options, but if my Windows doesn't work, then that's that's a serious, more serious issue, and 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 that may be where. Uh, and you don't, you certainly don't see Windows doing. I mean, Windows offers a beta test to anybody who wants to try it, um, but they don't force you to do it. And 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 I would imagine that most people don't do that who are you know not incredibly technically proficient. I typically have never done a beta test of a of, of, of a platform like that. I'd rather have all those bugs worked out because I don't want to really take the time to mess with it otherwise. Um, my approach, if I had to talk about my approach to dealing with this, because I agree with you, Dennis, I think that developers are moving um, to this practice of, of rolling software out when it's almost ready and then just dealing with the consequences. But I've always been a go with the flow kind of software user. You know, I, I have accepted the fact generally that if something doesn't work in the software that I use, that it will eventually improve. I've come to understand that. And then, and if it doesn't improve, then I will stop using it. I'll try, I'll find another one. I have done that numerous times as I've found software that didn't, didn't really work the way I wanted to, and it never got better. And I've just moved on. And, and, and frankly, that's the way it is for most iPad and iPhone apps as well. And what I tell people at the sessions that I teach, if you have an app that you like, but it doesn't have a feature that's important to you, wait a few months because, uh, you know, that feature is probably going to be included. I, I think even better these days, depending on the, de the developer of the app that you're, you're interested in, most developers will listen to user input and feedback more often than they used to. You know, unless you're a Microsoft, unless you're one of the big de software developers, if you're just a regular old app developer, they really take this sort of feedback very seriously. And I think that maybe um, requesting an improvement, and you may be surprised they might listen to you and include that on a, on a further, uh, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a future release. So, so to me, I think that's the beauty of this public beta test world that we find ourselves living in as a tester. You've got the ability and the right, I think, to complain or or suggest improvements to what you're testing. So I, I my my approach would be get involved. You know, you can be a part of making the software into something that's useful to you um, if you're so inclined to do it. What about you, Dennis? Well, I, I as I I've found myself I've heard myself using the word tolerance uh, as, as we talk, but I, I think there's that part of it is sort of patience, tolerance. I, you know, I'm a person who uh, installs updates when they come out. And so, um, 
you know, there, I, sometimes you, you can't expect everything to work perfectly. Um, I sometimes don't like when things change, um, as, as with many people, but, but the thing is that I think you have to become an informed consumer on these things. And so if, if there is a change, um, it's, it's really, in, you know, amazing to me that how within a few days you're going to find a blog post, an article, something like that, that will t- say, Hey, if you like doing things the old way, here's the way you need to say change the settings in the new version to you know so you can see things or do things in about the same way so i think you just have to be an informed uh consumer go out there and and realize that uh you know, people are, for the most part, especially on the on the free programs and services, are trying to improve and trying to to uh, to improve the program, improve the service, to work out features that are valuable to even more people, and then uh, to also realize that you're potentially an outlier. That you know that some of these changes are made because the vast majority of people have you know. Uh, indicated they want something like this or it's just a better way to do things and so you have to be a little bit more flexible and adjust to that so i I find myself you know a little more flexibility you know i you know i tom as you know i complain i whine i swear about things but you know eventually you find some workarounds or you figure out uh you know a different way of doing things that uh that will make it work and so i just i i think that we're just going to have to be more more flexible and and realize time i think we really are part of this this big public beta which shouldn't surprise us because in most other aspects of our lives we're kind of in a public beta too of testing a bunch of different things before we move on to our next segment let's take a quick break with a few words from our sponsors clio Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the benefits of cloud computing. Now, what do you think the single biggest benefit to cloud computing is? In talking to our customers recently uh, about that very question, I was surprised with what came back with as, as a really resounding response, and, and that was that it's the convenience and the freedom that cloud computing affords them the ability to get their work done from anywhere whether it's at their office at the courthouse at home or even if they're on vacation they're able to get their work done where and when they need to get it done Uh, the mobile aspect of things is also increasingly important with cloud-based software you can access your data and software from your iphone or your ipad your blackberry uh, and other mobile devices so for the uh, lawyers that are on the move which is an increasing Uh, proportion of lawyers, that's a a really key benefit as well. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if anyone wants additional information on Clio, they can feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. If you like listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, you might also like the podcast, Law Technology Now on LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. In this segment that we call Puzzled, we pick a tech topic that has puzzled us recently and see whether we can make more sense of it for ourselves and for you. 
Apple has introduced a podcast app uh, for the iPhone and iPad and pointed us towards some new directions in our podcast listening habits, uh, especially for those of us who listen to a lot of podcasts. It looks like I actually need to rethink my approach to podcast listings. I'm a little puzzled by my choices uh, on these podcast apps and the alternative third-party apps, and I'm looking for a little advice. Tom, do you have this uh, the new world of podcast listening all figured out? Well, when you say new world of podcast listening, I think what you mean by that is is that that there are apps out there that are trying to get away from using and we're, and we're talking being in Apple's world using iTunes as the means for both subscribing to and storing your podcasts. There there were a number of apps that are out there that. Uh, uh, do not rely, do not make you become tethered to iTunes to, uh, to to get your podcasts. And let's get away from Apple entirely and talk about Android phones or other devices. There are Android phones have had podcast apps for a long time that that rely not a bit on iTunes and and that deliver podcasts to you uh, over the internet or over over Wi-Fi so that you do not have to uh, to to connect to anything. But but. You know, Apple set up subscribing to podcasts and iTunes a long time ago, and and I used to be sort of sort of chained to that, where I was um, every day uh, connecting my iPhone to my computer and downloading the latest podcast. They would download into my uh, iTunes first, and then I would sync with my iPhone, and I'd get them every day, and that was a royal pain. So uh, I've started to use a, a standalone app. Apple's podcast app is good enough. It's, it's, a, it's a nice feature. It has fairly, I think, basic options. I prefer an app uh, like Downcast, Downcast or Instacast. I've used both of them. I happen to prefer Downcast right now. What I like about it is is that uh, I don't need to hook up to iTunes. Uh, Whenever I have a wireless connection, it's going to automatically update all of of the podcasts that I have. I can pretty much do anything that I want to with those podcasts. I can create playlists. uh, I can share those podcasts. I can, uh, you know, increase or decrease the speed that I listen to the podcasts, uh, shuffle things around. Uh, it's it's they're pretty powerful apps for listening to podcasts. But I think, and Dennis, uh, give a little bit away as you and I were talking about this before you recorded it. I, I think it really depends on how you like to listen to your podcasts. For me, I don't listen to a ton of podcasts. I listen to maybe three, uh, well, I, I probably listen to, to three or four a day, but I maybe subscribe to 20 different podcasts that don't publish every single day or even every single week. So it's pretty manageable for me. I, I Listening to you, Dennis, it sounds like you you, you have a com, you know completely different approach to how you both listen to and manage your podcasts. Yeah, and I think the thing for me that's I find myself in this somewhat ironic place is probably the software program I've liked the least over the years is iTunes, <laughs> and I f- finally have come to terms with it and got it to work in a way that I like. And I see two things out there that now concern me. One is that there will be a completely new version of iTunes coming maybe like in a month or so, and that there, there's this clear motion toward uh, or clear movement toward putting podcasting into, into a separate app. And so I've finally figured out this playlist method that actually really works for me. Um, you know, 
given the the types and, and quantity of podcasts I listen to, and, and my experience is different than many people because I have a very long commute, so I do listen to, to a lot more podcasts, and, and I also try a bunch of different things. And so I say, it looks like they want me to go to this app, and instead of this, you know, as I said, I finally feel like I've got iTunes to work for me, uh, you know, with, with a few exceptions, that... Um, now, instead of this using a couple of different playlists to get me what I need, now it looks like I go into this podcast app and, oh, my God, it, it doesn't look like there's any playlists in there. It seems like I just need to go to a podcast and listen to them. And, and then I realize, like, as you said, Tom, this is one more thing where you say, oh, this is a system that works really well when you listen to half a dozen or so podcasts. But when you're listening to a lot of podcasts, then you're and you just want to move through things, say, in my case, by the length of the podcast, it just becomes really difficult. And so so it does look like there's, you know, I guess like three choices in the apps. And, uh, you know, some of those things I see that, you know, some of those apps have uh, three times, you know, triple speed right. in addition to double speed. And, and that's kind of interesting to me. So I sort of feel like I need to to move that direction for for a number of reasons. So it's encouraging to me, Tom, that, that you've sort of gone into the podcast app realm and, and seem to be fairly happy with what you're finding. No, I am happy with it because, but I think it's because I listen to a limited number of podcasts, uh, and 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 also, you know, you and I were talking. You you sometimes like to include music in the things that you listen to, so it's not just all about podcasts, and and that's why I think that maybe iTunes is the ideal tool for you. If you like to have that mix, creating those playlists there, I think is great. These apps certainly can't do that. There may be other apps out there that can. And if any of our listeners are aware of apps that can do that, you know, I, I happen to subscribe to Spotify and I think it may be possible to, uh, to, to, to have things on Spotify. I'm not sure how they would handle podcasts though, but, um, you know, I, I think that, that if, if trying to set something up to where you can listen to both podcasts and new music really really requires the power that I think something like iTunes has as much as we don't like it. Um, it's, it, it certainly seems to at least handle that particular need. I, I think that the apps that I'm talking about uh, really do work if you don't listen to a lot of podcasts. And, and frankly, I have so little time to listen to podcasts. If I don't get you know, if I don't get to podcasts for that day, I typically delete them because I've got a whole new set of podcasts coming the next day. And I really will only listen to the last day's worth because I just don't have the time anymore. If, if, but if you have time, though, Dennis, I think maybe one of these apps might make sense to you. But then again, um, you know, maybe iTunes is 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 the best tool for for what you need it to be right now. And that's kind of a scary thought. But now it's time for our parting shot. That one tip, website, or other observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Actually, I'm going to take back a parting shot. And I'm actually not going to take it back. I'm just going to give my my uh, uh, further opinion on it. On the last episode, I recommended a tool called SaneBox as uh, my parting shot, saying that it really makes managing your email better. And, and some of our good friends uh, have used SaneBox box to, to great effect and really enjoy using it. I've tried it out for the trial period. And, and what I found is, is that what's most useful to me is taking email out of my inbox that is not really important to me. The mailing lists, the the confirmations, the, the advertising, the newsletters, the things that I don't need to see on a daily basis that I don't need to see during my work day, taking them out and putting them in a place where I can look at them later. And, uh, you know, while SaneBox is great, 
ultimately they're going to charge you a couple bucks a month, you know, six bucks a month to do that for you. And so what I'd like to recommend instead is that if that's all that you need, SaneBox does a lot more. It'll, it'll, it'll do a lot more things for you. But if what you need is just moving some email into another folder or, or deleting some email that you just can't seem to subscribe to that you don't want to see anymore, I recommend just using good filters in Gmail, especially if you're a Gmail user. But I know that, you know, newoutlook.com can do this. If you use Outlook email, creating rules, I think is something that's very easy and very important to do. But in, in Gmail, it's very simple. You open up an email, you just uh, click where you would normally click to reply. One of the options is, you know, add a filter to deal with this email, and then you can set up the rule to, uh, to to deal with that so that it only is labeled and goes into another folder where you can deal with it later. So if, if, if keeping control of your email is important to you, but you don't want to spend the kind of money that SaneBox is going to charge to do it, then I'm going to include a link from Google on, on how to set up and, and, and manage your filters in Gmail, and, and, and maybe I'll do something for rules and Outlook as well. What I have is... Uh is is something from our friend Rick Borstein at Adobe on his his great blog of on Acrobat for Lawyers blogs.adobe.com slash acro A C R O Law. Um, and, and he has a recent post called Top 10 New Features of Acrobat Pro 11 for, for Legal Pros. Um, and it's so Adobe Acrobat possibly one of the most important uh, programs for lawyers has a new version coming out, 11. Uh, Rick just runs down the top 10 features from the lawyer's perspective. And there's things like PDF editing, more, you know, control over, uh, you know, locking on locking documents, uh, you know, on, on any number of things. But um, Rick has just been great in providing education about Acrobat for lawyers over the years. And, and this is just another example. So if you're saying, oh, why would I already have Acrobat 10? Why would I want 11 really handy blog posts that just runs down the top 10 features? And then you can make a better decision of uh, when you want to move to the new version. And that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is available at our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes or on your favorite podcast app. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at tkmreport. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. Participate in our podcasting public beta by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network. <laughs>